What's the crack? Welcome back to the Irish Vice. Another absolute shit show today, sacked after the Crystal Palace performance. You know, what? I'm not going to hold back. We're just going to dive straight in. I honestly thought we'd be sitting here with a positive result on our hands and discussing how Manchester United have turned the corner. And from what I've seen, it's just more of the same dross that I was discussing in the past few performances, guys. I think boot off at Old Trafford. I really, really hate saying this, but I can see where people were coming from. I wouldn't say it's warranted. I'm not going to stand behind it. I'm not going to do the doom and gloomism and say Ten Hag out and he's not the right man for the job. I don't think. I still don't think we're there yet. But I can understand the booing. It was a very frustrating, very, I don't know, just... It was just one of those days for Manchester United. Just nothing went right. They tried their best. They, they put a, such a shift in. We had all the chances... Couple of big chances actually, and it just didn't come off. And I think that is largely down to the trident that I wanted. Crowed and praised them for the way that they tried to find each other in the first Crystal Palace game, and the different passages of players that were in that game that, that looked really, really promising. But it just didn't work, did it? Rashford looks off the boil this season. Bruno Fernandez is not an out-and-out prolific goal scorer, so he's not going to dig you out in games. Albeit he did it for Burnley. But what I mean is when you've got that low block and we're not forcing teams up on us, he's not going to be that guy that's able to jink into the box and have a shot at goal. And Hoyland, I don't know. I really, really like Hoyland, but I don't think Hoyland's been at it since he's come into the team. He looked a bit lost. I can almost see why Anthony Marshall's being thrown onto the pitch, but it is going to annoy people because he's such a divisive character. So I don't think Ten Hag is doing himself any favours in that respect by putting Anthony Marshall onto the pitch. But I can understand why Ten Hag is putting him onto that pitch because Hoyland isn't delivering. So irregardless of how we feel about that decision and it's getting booed, it's causing agitation, I get it. But it's simply coming because Hoyland isn't delivering. If Hoyland starts banging goals in and Anthony Marshall makes a 25-minute cameo when it's one each and Hoyland has scored, grand. I can get my back up as well about that. But but realism needs to be applied there. If Hoyland isn't delivering, he's simply going for a different option. And Anthony Marshall is a much deeper, much better player in the 10 position than Rasmus Hoyland would be. Hoyland's an inbox poacher. So if you tried for 75 minutes to try and find the goal with the poacher, hitting the ball into the box, the chances, trying to create things, Crystal Palace have a low block and that's not working. Why not try the player that comes in and plays the sort of false nine? The player that can dink it in, create a quick pass and movement and try and score a goal that way. Because whatever we tried against Palace, it just was not good enough. And, listen, how good was that goal? What a finish. Finally a week where nobody can get after Andre Onana because there was nobody stopping that in the Premier League. It was just an exceptional finish. One of the better finishes I've seen this season from anybody. And it just sums up the state of what is going on in Manchester United in one emphatic moment. That we can't have our moment against Burnley without having to suffer that at Crystal Palace. And I think that is just indicative of the way this season is going. Um, they say that you need the rub of the green and a bit of luck sometimes to win football games. We're getting none of it. And I think the most depressing thing that came from that weekend is I looked at that football team. As I'm sure a lot of us did and I thought, here we go. And I probably said it to more people than I should have when I was watching it. And I probably said it after a pint or two. You know, this is going to be a real performance from Manchester United. This has to be a performance from Manchester United. This is an Eric and Hag looking team. And it just didn't come. And I said it on the podcast when I was doing my analysis of the Crystal Palace game that I really thought there were shades of what could be our first team. 
And I don't really know where to turn this week with what I've seen. I don't really know how to dissect the poorness of the football that I've seen on display at Crystal Palace in periods. Apart from to say that I criticised us for playing statuesque football. When we try and play the progressive pass and move game, we lose the ball. It's not there yet. So I don't know what needs to give, but something needs to give at the minute with Manchester United because they are starting to frustrate the life out of all of us, I think. We look toothless. We look toothless in our attack. We get in around the box. You just feel it coming to break down. You don't feel like those big chances are going to be created at the minute by Manchester United. And that is a team that is underconfident and playing without consistency and playing without form. And at the minute, we have a lot of players coming back in from injuries and a lot of players who are only trying to get up to speed. And we look it. We look every bit of it. We look like a team that hasn't really played together before. It has all the quality and all the makings of a good side. I truly still believe that. But it really looked like a team that had been strung together at the weekend. And they created more chances. They held on to possession. They did a lot of things well. But at the end of the day, you should not be losing 1-0 to Crystal Palace in any circumstances. Especially not when you needed a big, big performance. Now I'm starting to doubt whether this squad actually has that big performance in them. Is it a case of Eric and Hag just picking a team to go out there and fail miserably week on week? And is that what we're going to expect up until January? Like... It's hard to see here who is at fault for what is going on and why they're at fault. The one thing I would say is you can take the mitigating circumstances into it. Now, we've, take, we've spoke about this before. There is a lot going on, on and off the pitch at Manchester United, a lot. But those excuses are starting to wear thin. And the booing at Old Trafford is the first sign that everything's not. We've seen this before. We've seen it with other managers where the crowd turns on the team and the crowd turns on the manager and nobody can see the light through the trees. And some of us who are a bit more pragmatic will probably sit and go, no, Erickson Hag needs to be given time. Boozing the pitch can't be the reason that this manager goes. He needs to be given time to execute his vision. But unfortunately, football isn't built that way. You already have major pundits of our football club, the Gary Nevilles of the world, starting to throw shade on this team. Roy Keane getting after them. And these are the same boys who spoke up for Pochettino um, when they wanted Pochettino to come in. But I'm not blaming them on having agendas. But at the same time, I do think that they should be the ones, not us, not not the common fan, they should be the ones sitting there and saying, right, hold on a minute, this takes time. Manchester United were fractured and broken before Eric Ten Hag took over. They haven't sealed any of those cracks. In fact, they've become more fractured and broken. We... Love, as Manchester United fans at times, to harp on about our ownership situation. But the neglectful ownership at the minute is causing issues. Not causing issues in terms of not spending money and stuff like that. Eric Ten Hag has been allowed to build some version of the team that he would have wanted for Manchester United. So I'm not going to blame that. But what I would say is it's very distracting for those players to constantly see the media attention that is put around Manchester United. Is it going to be the Glazers in charge? If the Glazers go, is Eric Ten Hag going to be the manager? Will a new owner have a new vision for a different style of Manchester United? And that just adds to or amplifies all of the issues that are there at the minute. The big ones being the discipline in that squad. Jadon Sancho's situation is the greatest example of player power versus manager power of Manchester United. And thus far, Eric Ten Hag is being backed. But if they really want to make a statement, they should sell Jadon Sancho and come out early and say, Jadon Sancho is going. This is my manager. This is who I chose. 
and I am not backing Jadon Sancho in this. He's leaving Manchester United in January because his refusal to meet training standards and then his outburst on social media and then his behaviour afterwards towards the manager. Just set a really clear, really defined statement now so that this manager can hope to build something with the current squad of players that he has. But I don't think any of us expect the club to do that. But I think that's me digressing and fishing for excuses again and clutching at straws. Let's face it, Manchester United against Crystal Palace, it's another performance that we've just got used to. It's a lot of trying, it's a lot of effort, but when you come up against it defensively, we're very, very weak. We left spaces for them to exploit. Uh, I don't think we were clinical enough when it came to the forward line, and that's going to cost you games. Now, how does he change that? I have no clue. It would be a sad state of affairs after the performances I've seen of Anthony to turn around and use Anthony maybe as an avenue or an outlet because I called for Palestri to start. I think Palestri really has the talent to make something in that team. But I have to admit defeat on that one. I think taking Hannibal Mebry out in Crystal Palace after how well the lad played during the week was a mistake. Now, I think that was a fatigue issue. I think if Hannibal Mebry had been fully fit, we hadn't used him as extensively in the Carabao Cup, that he definitely would have been on the pitch. But I think where Mebry gives you something over Palestri is he would have got at Palace and tried to run through the lines with the ball. We were trying to play this picture-perfect passing game, which we would all love to see. That's Ten Hag ball to a tee. It's a fluid movement. It's moving players out of positions, moving yourself out of positions. Centre midfielders playing left-back. Centre midfielders pulling out of the wing positions. The wingers coming into the middle. And I think that's why he's putting Bruno out on that right-hand side when he brings the Mebry in for that experiment. But what we're lacking is that clinical edge that only comes with consistency and experience. And it only comes from minutes on the pitch and putting a team together that is able to play those transitional piece passing and look I think Manchester United's biggest issue and again this is going to sound an excuse I'm going to look for the clutching and straws approach but I did tell you from the very very start that I was going to try and show some optimism if you look at any team the way that it's built any successful football team you add one or two components into a football team every season. You have your settled 11 who's been around the football club for X amount of years. Liverpool did this brilliantly. Jurgen Klopp was brilliant at this, but he was given the time to do it. He came in and he seen the state of the current Liverpool team and he knew that he had to make nine or ten changes to that start of 11, which he did. But he could only do it within Liverpool's financial structure, so he had to move two and three pieces at a time out over a period of a couple of years. Three or four moved in increase the squad depth and bring those players who shouldn't have been starting some of those onto the bench so that he would have a new look starting 11 that could play his style of football but also some of the players that were already there previously that could fit in and bed into his team and add a bit of depth and have a a settled 16 instead of an 11. Eric Ten Hag has brought in Mason Mount, Andrew Nana, Casemiro, Martinez, Malassia, Rasmus Hoyvland, Anthony, Johnny Evans, Bayinder, Sofian Amrabat, and an unloaned Sergio Rahulian. Now, they're not glamorous, sort of world-class signings, but they are there to add a new dynamic to Manchester United. Since they've come in, Anthony has not lived up to expectations, which I think is a bit of a shock, considering the money that we paid for him. Plus, he's got this issue now where we don't know what's going to happen with him in a legal sense, but we'll not get into that. That's for another discussion. Um, I think Mount was brought in to change that midfield in there with Casemiro. I truly believe Mason Mount was signed to play the 10 so that Bruno Fernandes could go out on the right-hand side, but we haven't seen that this season through injuries and whatever. 
And Sophie and Amrabat, I think, was signed to play in the holding midfield role before Mason Mount. But again, we haven't seen that. Now, he also brought in Christian Eriksen to play in that midfield role. It was a good free signing because it definitely was an upgrade over Scott McTominay and Fred, in my opinion. But Eriksen has real limitations. He's very slow. He offers nothing defensively. He's quite statuesque. He's brilliant at dropping deep and controlling the game with long-range passes and short-range passes. He's brilliant at organising the midfield and getting other players to run around him. But in terms of his actual shift on the pitch, he gives you nothing, Eriksen. He, he's very open, and any games I see him play in midfield with Casemiro, he leaves that midfield far too exposed because Casemiro cannot do that job on his own. That, I believe, is why Manchester United signed Sophie and Amrabat. But this left-back converted tucking in midfielder thing that they're trying, is that's not something that Eric Ten Hag has sat down before the season and gone, yeah, we'll sign off Sofian Amrabat. Do you know what? I'm going to sign him as a left-back and play him as an inverted midfielder. No, that is out of necessity because he got Rahulian in on loan to cover two injured left-backs and now Rahulian's injured. You know, he, he's been so unlucky at the start of the season with injuries. So the point I'm trying to make here is we're not seeing a consistent, experienced side who's played together play football. We're seeing a thrown-together team. We're seeing seven new signings since Eric Ten Hag started trying to muck in with a makeshift backline and try and make it work. And it's going to fail. And I'm going to hate it when it fails and I'll complain about it and I'll yap about it and I'll come on and I'll talk about how disgusting the performance was. But if you calm it all down and I think about it realistically, I don't think we're seeing Ten Hag's final project. So I'm going to react every time that we lose. It's my right to, it's your right to, but I'm not going to get after the manager because I think you just need to realise that there's so much going on in terms of the playing staff. And I'm not talking about the issues outside of the club. I'm just talking about injuries. I'm talking about fitness. I'm talking about our available selection to play football games. i seen the Palace team and I giddily thought, here we go. And I got it massively wrong. And I choose to believe that that is because the team that I thought was going to kick us on, I thought off in a sense of playing FIFA as opposed to a sense of reality where I thought, you know what? These boys haven't played together before. The Crystal Palace win was the first time some of them had been on the pitch together playing in a competitive match. Palace have made changes and brought back their strongest first team. And now I'm expecting Manchester United to blow Palace away. If I give myself two seconds and a setback from the situation, it's probably stupid on my part. But I will reiterate the fact that the excuses are starting to wear thin. Once the crowd starts booing Eric Ten Hag, he needs to have a response to this. The squad needs to have a response to this. They need to go to Galatas right now and really put in a shift and put in a performance. Or they are opening themselves up to being decimated in the press, to being slagged off by pundits. And I just know, I just know that Paul Scholes and possibly Rio Ferdinand, maybe Mike Lowen, are going to be part of that TNT BT setup. And if they embarrass themselves again if they can't score against Galatasaray and the goals can't start flowing and they end up conceding a few mistake goals wait till you see the analysis afterwards I will sit and watch it I will put myself through it but it'll be really really tough to listen to but we're at home and it's the Champions League so let's try and think a bit positively about this now, I am going to have uh, the first segment we're going to do a news roundup and a roundup of uh, big stories that have come across Manchester United before the Galatasaray game. I'm going to have uh, Jack McGuinness on. She's going to talk about 
different views and different opinions that she sees in the football club from a more experienced supporter than I am. Somebody who's been through the bad times as well as the good times and maybe has a more realistic perspective on where Manchester United are and where they can go. Because I know as a fan who's only used to success and is a bit spoiled growing up as a Manchester United fan, for me this feels really deflating. It feels very very murky, you know, as if I can't see what can go right. But that'll be the next piece that you hear in the podcast, guys. Make sure you give a listen to that one. That should be good. We're going to take some new stories. We're going to take Jaden Sancho. We're going to take Anthony. We're going to take the goings-on of Manchester United at the minute and just get a real different opinion and a different view on it. And then instead of doing post-match analysis, we'll have a wee view to the Galatasaray game. What are the thoughts and feelings? We'll get a few other United fans in next week. Then after the Galatasaray game, we're going to have a bit of a round table and talk about, you know, what it's like at the minute to be a Manchester United fan. A generational thing. Younger fan, older fan, and then us two who are, well, consider ourselves middle of the road. But yes, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Look, the only way is up. We go again. Like I said before, if your fellow United fan is feeling optimistic and you're a bit doom and gloom, that's fine. Offer an opinion. Just don't be a prick. Until next time, guys. <laughs>